handle the truth. What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Thomas Freeme TV and Podcast Show. This is Thomas Freeme joining you once again on this beautiful Tuesday night. You know, one thing that the hurricane did leave, aside for this destruction, you know, God bless all of those who have been impacted here in South Florida. It wreaked havoc. But it's been some beautiful days in the aftermath, you know. Um, and it's, you know, I guess that's like the philosophy of life, right? You know, the storm comes through and, and washes everything away and everything starts anew, you know. So for those impacted by, by Hurricane Ian, um, God bless you guys. Those that are still without power down here, God bless you guys. Um, I wish you the best. Uh, we're doing what we can do up here. Um, www.cominghomecoalition is, is the charity. And we're just a community outreach. We're taking donations to try to supply some of the homeless and those that have been Im- impacted. Um, if you need your roof tarped or debris cleaned up out of your yard, we can facilitate that as well. Um, so please go to our website, www.cominghomecoalition.com. And we have other things that we're building upon to really try to, to take some strain off you know, the local community here in the Tampa Bay area. So there are many other great organizations out there that are stepping up, and we are one of them. So please check out, check out what we're doing, what we got going on. So um, tonight's show, if you have seen some of the prior episodes uh, regarding James Griffin, uh, the case out of Topeka, Kansas, then you, you understand a little bit of what we're going to get into tonight. If you have not, I do have a little bit of time to, to break this down because there was a slight communication error between James and I when I told him that I'm going live at 8 o'clock. He is in Kansas. He is an hour behind. So I think in his mind he was thinking 8 o'clock as well, which would put us at an hour difference. So... Uh, the family member is trying to get a hold of James to see if we can get him to call. But if not, we will have to postpone this one probably until next Tuesday night and then run it there. But I do have a little bit of time. Hopefully we can get him on the phone. But um, I do have a little bit of time to to break down this case a little bit. Now, as you see in the thumbnail, uh you know, about, you know, what is black? What does black sound like? He sounded black. This was the, the, the evidence that they had coming from the victim, the testimony coming from the victim. The victim testified that he was blindfolded during this robbery of a Carlos O'Kelly's, which is a restaurant. This was the manager. His name was Bob Frazier. So Bob testified that he was robbed and shot and that he was blindfolded and all he knew was that his assailant sounded black. This uh, started, uh, opened a whole can of worms, right? And essentially what ended up happening was this is this was a, a prominent white man as as what it was said at trial. This was a prominent white man in an upstanding neighborhood, and uh, he was robbed by a black person, and he was shot 
and he was paralyzed from the waist down, and these people were not found. They were not caught. And the pressure was, was, was getting put on them to do something. You know, something had to be done. So <clears throat> the, the pressure was on. And ultimately what ended up happening was James Griffin's name came about in, in, in circles and started spreading. Uh, he fit the profile. After all, he was black. He fit the height. He fit the weight, you know, somewhat. In, in those areas, and it was an easy story to script. It was an easy story to script. The case ultimately came down to two individuals that were close to Biggie. Um, Biggie is, is James Griffin's, you know, AKA. And one was his cousin, and the other was his cousin's fiance, you might as well call her. Um, they, they, these three were were tight you know they were family they were they they hung around each other a lot so there was a lot of history with them that that um they could testify to what ended up happening was that Michi which is the cousin his aka he he um he was in trouble himself and he was looking to get out of trouble and the prosecutor ultimately gave him the chance to do that as long as he told the story that that he told and as long as it, it fit the script and as long as it was able to convict James Griffin. And that was what they needed to convict this man. So the thumbnail in essence is is essentially that the trial of a black man and, and it's like I tell James, it was not James Griffin that was on trial that day. Or the the you know them them several days. I think the trial was three days. That was not James Griffin that went to trial. This was the trial of a black man, because ultimately that's who they were looking for, was a black man. That's who he sounded like. You know, we get into the discussions as to what does black sound like. You know what what exactly does that mean? Hey Tasha, thank you for joining. What exactly does that mean? Right. He sounded black. I've heard it. You know, um, it's it's things. These are common phrases that that white people use. You know, he sounded black and and we all kind of know what that means, you know, and I've even had black people say that to me. You sound black. You sound like you're black, especially when I'm. Um, um, uh communicating with these people out in, in the Midwest because, you know, the little bit of time that I went out there when I first originally went out there and met the Griffin family and, and, and did the depositions that I did out there, that's, again, in the stories and past. And, and another story, uh, Where in the World is Trisha Joe, where I really explained that trip. But going out there and meeting, meeting black people out there versus out here is completely different because I'm not prevalent out there like out here in Florida. You know, you'll see white people out here with gold teeth and dreads and and speak very very urban, you know. A lot of there's a lot of poor people, poor white people here in Florida. You know, backwoods back so going out there I'm different. And I can see that just in the way the the shock in people's face when I start to speak because they do not expect me to speak the way that I speak. 
So I get this all the time. And if I would have been in the courtroom with James Griffin that day, I could have easily gotten this man out of trial because when the question came up as to what does black sound like, well, I mean, I could have easily been in the back room and I could have easily just played some audio and let the jury determine whether I'm white or black. And I guarantee this all-white jury would have made the determination that they were listening to a black man. And then when I walk into the courtroom, what happens? What happens to your theory? You know, what happens? But we know this, and we all say this, and in a time of, of racism where we're at today, right, what exactly does that mean? You know, what does that mean? What does it mean when, you, when, when we say, uh, when we tell a, a very articulate black person that they sound white? You sounded white over the phone. I thought you were a white person. We may say these things and not, and not view them as offensive because, honestly, that's, that's what we thought. But it's, it's the stigmatic racism that's, that's in that that made you automatically assume that this person was a certain color based upon your thought of what they sound like or, or smell like or act like or anything of those functions. You know, but that is exactly what we had with James Griffin. I'm praying that he calls in. I still have not gotten word on that yet, but. So, and this was really my first experience going out west. I haven't been out west that far, you know. I mean, sure, I, I've, I've dealt with and saw, you know, racism here in, in, in the south, in Florida. You know, but it's, I don't know, it's different, I guess. I don't even really know how, how to explain that. Somebody really from the Midwest would have a better chance at explaining that than me. It's just, it's like when I go to Georgia. You know, I've, I've went to Georgia several times, and I've made several references about when I go to Georgia, particularly Atlanta, even when I deal with people that are from Georgia, they're different. You know what I mean? They're different. My experiences of going into Georgia are, um, people are very, very um, apprehensive, tense, you know, um, especially when it comes to me saying hello to black people or anything like that, walking by, you know, I may get a hello back or, or however, but it's just, I don't know, it's just different. And it's crazy. You know, it's, 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 it's crazy because at the end of the day, this is, this is all one country, but yet it's so diversified and, and you could just travel a hundred miles and be in a completely different environment. You may not even have to travel that far. You could travel from inner city here in Tampa and be in backwoods, you know, backwoods, Florida, you know, deep South Florida in, in a matter of 30 minutes, your whole landscape changes, you know, so. The diversity in this country is is great, but yet the hostility is even greater. And, and these are the things that, for me, as, as, as what I'm doing, is really just trying to unravel, trying to get people to understand, one, the, the closeness between classism and racism and that we are really working under a, a function of classism disguised to be racism so that we can can just continue to to gnash at each other and argue with each other and really essentially be be um divided 
you know, as a whole. So these are the reasons why I bring these stories to light the way that I do so that people can really see it firsthand. When we talk about systemic racism, when we talk about racism within our, our judicial system, and we talk about, you know, uh, these these events that are occurring and, and why there are so many black people incarcerated versus white people, um, things of that nature. These are the reasons why, particularly with with James Griffin's case, you know, and the fact that you have a black man that cannot get a fair trial simply because he sounded black. And, and it was an all white jury, white judge, white prosecutor, white white public defender who never even questioned that. Like, how, how do you even get a fair trial? So it's, it's really just bringing these things to, to understand and to light. And when we look around in, 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 in our country as, it's, as it stands now, the division, and we ask ourselves how and why have we got here? Why do we hate our neighbors so much? Why are we arguing with our neighbors so much? Why are things so out of control it's because of these reasons it's because of the lies it's because of the secrecy right the secrets the lies the manipulation the ego and and the division it all creates a hostility amongst one another i'm not trying to help my neighbor i want my neighbor to fail maybe i can buy his property when he fails you know this this is how we're we're looking at each other we're not helping each other. We're not doing nothing to, to stand up for one another for what's right or what's wrong. A lot of us live in fear. A lot of us live in fear of standing up for what's right because we may lose what little that we have. So we would rather just be quiet and just hold on to what we have. And hopefully if we just stay out of the way, the spotlight won't come on us. All of this is why we are here where we're at day letting letting corruption run wild letting it go because it we 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 deem it justifiable these are criminals they're criminals we don't care about what happens to them feed them dirty water feed them little bit of food you know and it doesn't matter they're criminals they shouldn't have done what they did i i can't disagree with that it's not that I'm sitting here disagreeing with that, but we have to make sure that that person that is being charged for that crime actually did that crime. And it's not a cover up for some corrupt prosecutor or anything of that matter. We have to make sure that our judicial system is working, just like we have to make sure that our voting system is working and that our legislative system is working. We, the people, have to make sure that this system is working. Because if we don't, then people are going to manipulate our system for, for corrupt values. And that's what we have today. This is how we have this tyrannical prison industrial system that we have. And this is how events like, as you see up on my board, Tamujin Kinsu, John Merritt, James Griffin, Curtis Davis Jr., Lloyd, Lloyd Johnson, uh, Demel Dukes, all of these people, all of these people who may have committed a crime, but yet they're, they're sitting in prison for 20, 30, 40, 50 years for something that, that did, it didn't even weigh out. It doesn't even match up. It doesn't even weigh out because of political, political gain, corruption, 
and and this is what my shows are is is to break all of this down to show you in each one of these it's just not me up here rambling about it but it's really just to to show you and get you the listener to understand how these these corrupt matters happen it doesn't look like he's going to be able to call so i may just cut tonight short cuz i got a lot on my plate and i do apologize for that um I mean, I got to wear that. That's my bad because I did not clarify. I didn't even think about him being out in Kansas. And and that's, that's just how this stupid time zone thing works. But um, I will get him back here live. I know he wanted to speak specifically on the Brady violation. I didn't want to get too much into the Brady violation because I didn't want to do two, two shows back to back on it. But um, this was just kind of a filler to let you kind of understand and know what is going on with James Griffin, how he needs attention brought to what he's got going on, and the reason why. And that specifically revolves around the Brady violation. The fact that witnesses were coerced and paid to give testimony. Whether the testimony is truthful or not, it does not matter. The fact that they were coerced and they were promised and they were awarded for their testimony is the the Brady violation. That is the violation that that creates an unfair court, creates a biased court, because I, as the defendant who's defending these accusations against me, cannot go out and proffer witnesses to come testify for me in a character witness or any any fashion. I, I can't do it. I can be held for obstruction of justice, contempt of court, all of that solicitation, all extortion. All of these things, the court will come down on me. How do I know? Because they did. They gave me an obstruction of justice for that same fashion. That same fashion because when I, when I lost trial and I was waiting to be sent up the road, my case was so big that I had individuals coming to me telling me about my co-defendants and how they were, they were sitting around playing spades together in the dorm, talking about concocting their stories. These were people that didn't even know me. They just heard about I was the one that went to trial and how all of these people jumped on my case. I started getting affidavits from these people. I ended up getting 16 affidavits from from individuals, not in just one jailhouse, because as I started collecting these affidavits, the prosecutor got hip to it. Right. Because, of course, all our phone calls are recorded. I'm telling my parents about these affidavits, things of that. They moved me from the jail that I was in and shipped me way down to South Florida, right? And this was at Christmas time. This was my first Christmas away from my, my family. And I'm looking at who knows how long. Ten to life is what my guideline range was, right? So I'm collecting all these affidavits. Long story short, I get an evidentiary hearing based upon newly discovered evidence they deem it that I had I had somebody come in by the name of Angelo Larocco. That's this dude's name. Never knew this dude, didn't know him. But he was my co-defendant. And he stepped to me. They put me, they ended up putting me in the county jail where he was at. This was my third place. This was out in Orlando where they sent me at now. Because they sent me way down to South Florida, and I'm still getting affidavits from people down there that knew me and knew about my case, right? So then they ended up sending me out to Orlando. And this is where I meet this Angelo Larocco. Now, he approaches me talking about he's my co-defendant, how messed up it was, how he's on my side because I went to trial and all these things. And 
you know, F these people, F that people, blah, blah, blah. You know, all this rah-rah stuff. The whole time, he's a plan. He's a plan. So this dude is coming to me. And he's like, man, I heard about this motion that you got coming up about them lying to you, this and that. He's like, man, these people, he's like, I don't even know you. He said, but the lead agent came and just showed me your picture and, and said that we need a story on this guy. You know, we need, you want some time off? We need, we need to get you in here and, and, and testify against this guy. So he's like, that's, that's what I did, you know? So I asked Angelo at that time, I'm like, man, well, listen, can I get an affidavit from you saying this here? He tells me, he's like, man, I don't know, man, you know, you know, cause I'm pleading out and I don't want to really upset these people. I got my own thing to go through. He said, let me call my grandfather and talk to him. This dude didn't call his grandfather. This dude ran to the phone and called the feds. This is who he did. This is who he called. How do I know? Because at my evidentiary hearing, who's the one that comes and testifies? Angelo LaRocco. And he comes and he tells these people, right? He comes and tells these people how I was soliciting, trying to solicit an affidavit from him to say, you know, X, Y, Z, and I'm going to pay him with cookies, commissary cookies. And it's the thing, man, the people can go into the court and say anything that they want to say. These people can, if you're, a, if you're a witness for the state, you can go in and say anything that you want to say, and it's made to look to the jury like you're a saint, you're an angel. It does not matter how ugly your criminal history is. If you're up there testifying for the state, oh, boy, you're a model citizen now. Why? Because you're, you're cooperating. And that's what model citizens do. So I got to believe everything that you say now because you're up here and you're telling the truth for no reason. This person has every reason to lie because he's trying to get out of trouble. But you, you have no reason to lie. That's how the jury is believed. That's how it's, it's, it's presented to them. Because as in the case with James Griffin, you don't have that prosecutor going to that jury and saying, well, you know, we had to coerce witnesses. We had to promise witnesses. These two witnesses that are coming up got rewarded for their testimony. You know, the, the boyfriend got let out of jail. Everything was all nice and easy. All they had to do was just come in, sign, you know, sign, sign their name to the, to the affidavit, testify to it, and then that's it. But that's never it, man, because when you sign a deal with the devil, man, we all know where that goes. And that's exactly who you're dealing with. That's exactly who you're dealing with. So I'm going to leave you guys with that, man. I, I greatly apologize that this did not turn into, into what I, I wanted it to be. Um, again, it was just a miscommunication on the time zones. I will have to, to reset this up um, to get James on here live, you know, to talk about these things so you guys can hear the, you know, just, just the pain. You know, these are people who have been incarcerated for 20 plus years. Tamujin Kinsu, John Merritt, you know, James Griffin, Curtis Davis, I believe 17, 18 years now. These are people who have, they're not, they haven't been in two, three years. These people have lost a chunk of their life that they cannot get back because of corruption, because of lies, because of miscommunication, whatever, whatever the reason. Whatever the reason, you know, and we, the people, are not stepping up to free our people. These are hostages. 
If you're an innocent person being held in prison against your will, how are you not a hostage? How are you not a hostage? And how are we allowing our American citizens to go through that and we're not even we're, we're not even paying attention? How many people even knew that that wrongful conviction day was on the second? How many people? How many people knew that that was an international? That wasn't just national. That's not just an American holiday. That's international. That's worldwide. Wrongful conviction awareness. Because it's going on all over the world. But there's none. None on the face of this planet in comparison to the United States of America. We have almost 3 million people incarcerated in the land of the free. Again, going back to what Malcolm X says. The hypocrisy of democracy. How can you call yourself the land of the free and you got three million of your citizens incarcerated? Let y'all think about that till next week, man. Saturday night, I have something for you. Thank you again. Again, going out to Hurricane Ian, survivors, um, the people that, that's going through it, man. Many blessings. Things will get brighter. Promise you things will always turn out okay in the end. But we need support down here. Uh, please visit www.cominghomecoalition. See what we got going on in the Tampa Bay area. And if you feel like you would ha- like to see us help, help us contribute, we need it. We need funding. We need supplies. We need to get these things. There's a lot of homeless people out there that need supplies. Um, I'm working on a deal to, to start getting Narcan supplied here um, to the, the addicts in this area. So got a lot of things going, man. Just... uh. Thank you. Again, thank you for, for, for sticking around. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for doing what you do. And um and I'm here for you guys, man. Reach out to me if you need help, if you need awareness brought to a situation. Uh, anything that I can do, you know. You help me, I help you, we help each other, and that's what it that's what community is about, is making sure that we come together holding hands, strong, positive, and fierce. That's what we need. Thomas Freeby, man. Y'all be.